Hi there, and welcome to the Homeschool Sisters podcast. I'm Kate, and I'm a homeschooling mom doing this homeschool thing right beside you. I don't have it all figured out, but one thing I know for sure is that homeschooling is a lot easier when you have a sister by your side. Join me and other down-to-earth members of the homeschool community as we share the reality of what this homeschooling journey is really like. Oh, so far away. But guess what? When that dreaded February slump hits, it's okay to call in some help and to outsource. Outsourcing is not cheating, not even close. In fact, by outsourcing a subject that's causing you extra stress, you're taking care of yourself. You'll be a better, happier homeschool mom because of it. And that brings me to Night Zookeeper. As a school psychologist, homeschool mom, and game schooler, I'm telling you, the best way to spark interest and fuel creativity and learning is through interest-based learning and play. Incorporating interest-based learning and play into your homeschool routine always, but especially during challenging seasons like the February slump, can help to decrease resistance, increase engagement, and make the entire family feel more connected and confident as you progress through the spring into the final home stretch of your homeschool year. Well, sisters, you know that I love to share creative resources, especially creative resources that incorporate play and interspace learning. Night Zookeeper is a fun and educational online learning platform for children. Night Zookeeper helps your child become a better reader and writer by making learning fun, engaging, and magical. It's perfect for children ages 6 to 12 plus years old. You know I love to game school and that play-based learning is extremely important to me. Learning through play is a really fantastic way to help develop writing skills in children and to build confidence. With Night Zookeeper, your child will play games that increase their vocabulary and improve their spelling. Your kiddo will receive personalized feedback from a team of dedicated tutors. The Night Zookeeper tutoring team provides your child with weekly lessons that incorporate interactive video elements and games to teach your children key skills to improve their writing. Night Zookeeper also offers publishing opportunities. Your kiddo's work could be published in the Night Zookeeper storybooks, featured in the card games, or even end up on the TV show. In addition, your kiddo will be part of a community of young writers who positively comment on each other's work. The comments are moderated by the tutoring team, so the interaction is completely safe. As you may already know, my youngest is a reluctant writer, and he absolutely adores Night Zookeeper. He's a gamer at heart, and he's super creative. It completely grabs hold of those interests in him and encourages him to write. So when he's playing, because that's what he says, hey mom, can I play Night Zookeeper? When he's playing with Night Zookeeper, he's not thinking that he's writing because he's having a great time. I have noticed a huge increase in confidence and increased skills since he's been using it, and he's been using it for several years now. You know how I told you a little bit ago that the best way out of that slump is to give yourself a little break, a little grace, and add a little fun? Well, Night Zookeeper is just the ticket. Night Zookeeper is offering the Homeschool Sisters community 50% off an annual subscription and a seven-day free trial. To get access to your seven-day free trial and to inspire your kiddos to write more this week, head to thehomeschoolsisters.com and click the special link in this episode's show notes. If you end up using Night Zookeeper and your kiddos love it too, please leave us a comment to let us know because I love hearing when resources that work for our family work for your family too. Again, if you'd like a seven-day free trial and 50% off an annual subscription of Night Zookeeper, head to thehomeschoolsisters.com and click the special link in this episode's show notes. Hi, Mr. D. 
Hello, Miss Kate. How are you? I am doing great. How about you? I'm well. I am so excited to have you on because you've been on our list of want to have guests forever. This is predating COVID, but then we went in a little bit of a lull. So I'm so excited to talk to you about a bunch of different things. But before we jump into that, could you, for anyone who doesn't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Hello, everyone. My name's Dennis Denoya, and people know me as Mr. D because when I first started in education, I know this is going to date myself, right? 1988 is when this train started and <laughs> students couldn't say my last name. So Mr. D, it's stuck and it just has followed me all the way through. And then in, let's see, 2008, Mr. D Math was born and started creating programs for, for co-ops. And I realized pretty, pretty in the beginning that trying to get from city to city and do all the co-ops, there was only so many days in the week and only so many miles that I could travel and get there and set up and do everything. And so we started looking at how do we get things online and how do we create things that we could get to everywhere. And so that started in 2010. We started developing the system. 2012, we got everything into the onto the internet. And I think 2013 was the first year that we started doing the live online classes. It, it was interesting is when I first started creating the courses, I really just thought it would be like a self-paced program and kids are just going to, here's the course and here you go and send us a question if you got a question kind of thing. But students really wanted that interaction and they loved the way that we did the co-ops and they thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just meet you from wherever you are? And so it was like, we found a way to start doing the online classes and do them the live online classes. And you think back to 2012, 2013, and the systems back then were a little clunky. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, and it's funny because when you were mentioning the pandemic, right, in 2020, we had started using Zoom. I, I want to say back in like 2017, 2018, we switched over to Zoom and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. The pandemic happens and then Zoom became a household name. Yes. <laughs> we just noticed immediately, it's like when we would sign on, we didn't have to tell the kids how to turn on their audio and how to do the video, how to use the chat. They just knew, right? And so it was one of the things that was, you know, of all the tragedy that came with the pandemic, that was one of the benefits that came out of it was it just made what we did even easier because people understood it more and how we got on there. But yeah, we've been going strong ever since and keep doing the online classes. And we so we have it where kids do the self-paced class if they want to. And if they want to do that live component, then we have the live classes for them too. Yeah, we've been rolling ever since. So I love it. So I probably discovered you. I'm trying to think of how when I first so I have a my oldest son is gifted twice exceptional kiddo. And it was probably around third or fourth grade that I he's very mathy and math I always did well in it, but it just wasn't my jam. And I found it a very difficult subject to teach because I was taught you just do it this way. And that's the way you do it. So I didn't have the language to explain all his mathy questions. And I was like, this is the first of the core academic subjects that I am going to try outsourcing. But he was very fidgety and could be very inattentive, like as much as he was young and he was ready for pre-algebra. But I was afraid to try an online class with pre-algebra, number one, because I didn't know if anyone would take him where he was young. And I knew that he was capable of that part. And number two... I just didn't know if it would be engaging enough for him. And so I connected with you through iHomeschool Network and I had right. the opportunity to take a pre-algebra class and I figured if it doesn't work for him, I will take it and I will just refresh my skills and whatnot because it's been a while. But I was just immediately struck by, first of all, that you will take these quirky kids that have skills that are all strengths and weaknesses. And also 
just your enthusiasm for teaching because he was like, I don't know if I want to take a class online. Like, why can't you teach me? And as soon as you came on and I remember you were, as the kids were entering, you were humming and like telling stories and stuff. And he was immediately just in, he was wholeheartedly all in. You were just so enthusiastic and you did skateboard guy and all the stuff that he was just, it was his favorite thing that year. And it gave him the confidence to do to explore other online opportunities and he's excelling in math right now so it's just that's so great what's funny about the humming is that my kids tell me they're like dad we know that when you're humming that the whole entire band is playing in your head yes. we only hear what's coming out of your mouth so they make fun of me for the humming but yeah <laughs> i love it no i i just finished your book and i was struck by i'm a music lover too i never took an instrument or anything but i constantly have music in my head. And I was just, it made so much sense to me reading about your growing up and whatnot, uh, the trumpet, I think trumpet, yep. am I right? Uh-huh. Um, just that you went from performing musically to being in a classroom where you're on display on Zoom or whatever platform, and in a way you're performing there too. And that right. feeds the learning. Absolutely. Yeah. It was my spot. I was growing up and I was actually, as a kid, I was a pretty good trumpet player. And I got to time to go to college and I was looking at college and it was like, and back then, when you look at going to school for music, basically what there was, you're either going to end up on a, in a band, right? Mm-hmm. Which I didn't really like classical music. So I didn't want to be in an orchestra because it wasn't my thing. And I thought, I don't know, man, I don't know if they, the Rolling Stones are ready for me, right? So <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was that or a band director. And I thought, yeah, that just doesn't feel like my passion. And uh, so I still play and I still keep the music alive, but but this was just the way to go. So it's been great. So no looking back there. Yeah. So how did you go from, how did you choose math? And then how did you go from the classroom to the homeschool setting? What was it that mm. drove you there? I think I, I read yeah. your book, so I know, but. Right. It's, we, it, there, there's a part of that story I don't think I put in the book. So, so I'll share that with you. Yeah. So when I decided to go into education, it, it, it started in a, literally it started and I was a youth group, a youth group count, uh, person for our youth group at our church. And I was young, I don't know, I was 24, 25 years old. And one of the kids came in, he was a high school kid and he had his algebra book with him. And at the time, I wasn't in education, didn't think that was going to be my pathway. And he came in and he said, hey, do you think you could help me with this? And I said, yeah, sure. Anyway, so we go through it. And I loved it. And he said to me, he goes, wow, you just explained this better than my teacher did. And I thought, oh, there might be something here. And so I went to the I went to the school district and I said, I'd like to you know, go through the process of what do I need to do to become a classroom teacher? And they so they took my transcript. And they looked at my transcript and I was a business major in college. And so I thought I'll do business classes or something. Right. And they looked at my transcript and they said, look, you've got more math credits than anything else. And this is back in the late 80s. And so they said, look, we've got a critical shortage for math teachers. If you're willing to come on right now, we're going to put you to work. I was like, let's go. Right. (laughs) So that's how math chose me as opposed to me choosing that. And, And then I ended up in the classroom and it was just great. But what happened as a, as a classroom teacher was I had ideas and I had, when I would see different things and I was watching kids and watching how they learn. And when I went to grad school, my, my graduate program was actually in counseling. And so 
I went through the counseling program and I was really learning about young people and learning styles and how they learned. And I could, it was like, there was those times when you're in public schools and you're doing it and here's your textbook and do it this way. And I could just see, it was like, that's not the right fit for everyone. And so I started looking at what would it look like to start doing things that would appeal to everybody and how you could reach all the students and all the learners. And it, I knew that that wasn't going to last in the public schools. And so as a public school teacher, this is the part of the story that is in the book. It's like, I always, I go to, when I'm at conventions, I always ask and see, where's the other recovering teachers out there? Because they're there, right? And, <laughs> um, they, yeah. and but I was doing as a public school teacher, we didn't get paid a lot. And so I had a second business that was tutoring and I was one of those road warriors and I was driving all over the place and going from house to house. And really found the passion for teaching through that and learned so much from young people because they were all ages. And I would see kids that were first graders up through 12th graders and just learned all these different methods and saw all the different textbooks. But this is really cool. And then it was in, in 2008, I was like, this is it. I'm done. It's time to, it's time to like branch out. And I discovered the homeschool world and had met a homeschool co-op in Sarasota, Florida, which is, which is where I was from then. And we started working together and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the perfect fit. And we just had this just mutual synergy for each other. And I was like, this is where I want to be. And literally started creating the curriculum. And then it was like, wait a minute, why aren't my kids being homeschooled? So we brought our kids home and we started. So we've done been a homeschool family really ever since then. And it has just been magic. But it was really more just, it's one of those things. It's like you seek the answer and it gets provided for you. You pray about it and there it is. And it just, homeschoolers found me. We found each other. And it was just like a, a perfect relationship to be able to work together. And that was it. So it was that transition out of the public schools but then to start developing my own brand, so to speak. And then homeschooling was like the place to go. And we just uh, opened it, it was big hugs to everybody. They welcomed me, I welcomed them. And it's just been a, just for me, it's been the best thing ever. And with my kids flourished inside of homeschooling. And, and so now it's great because today it's like I go out and travel and everybody wants to know, well, how do you homeschool? Because we want to do that too. And they want to know, because we travel internationally now and be able to do things where we can be online and do all these things we do. And so people are like, how do you do that? So it's a great story to share with people. But it was just, it was one of those, just the path kept opening up and opening up. And here we are. I really loved reading about how you started out teaching. I was a school psychologist before falling into homeschooling. We we didn't expect to be here. And it's been the best uh, curveball that life threw at us. But you seem to work in a district that's very familiar to me because I was always in the urban settings. And I did pre-K through 12, but I was often housed in a high school. And when you were describing the students you had that were completely checked out because just life was hard and they were hungry and they hadn't done well to this point. And so what's the point in how you use their strengths and got them interested in learning and becoming responsible for their own learning, but also, as you said, also tutoring where you're seeing the entire spectrum of children from different districts and different textbooks and different ages. And so you're seeing what the patterns are in the various public schools and where the holes are, and also how to spark interest in the kids that maybe aren't super interested in whatever subject you're teaching. So I just thought that was yeah. such a neat background before yeah, you, heading you into know, homeschooling. When you're first, and I think every person who's ever been a public school teacher or worked in the public schools, you go in young and you go in hungry and you're like, I'm going to change the world. We just all think that, right? 
And of course, and I go in and I'm a young guy and they're like, oh, we got the perfect place for you. It's called dropout prevention. Who's like, what? <laughs> and uh, so sure enough, but they, I went to, I was on a vocational campus that was an adult vocational campus when they put this high school program there, which may not have been the best, the best mix of where to put these kids because they were rough kids and they were struggling and they were trying to find their way. So they gave them the opportunity to study the vocational programs but they mixed them in with the adults and it was sometimes that was a little, little tricky to manage all that so we were managing a lot of that in the background on top of having kids that didn't really want to learn and it's funny because those kids taught me something that has stayed with me for 35 years in education now and that was because i used to grade all their papers and I, and I would take take so much time grade everything write all the notes smiley faces frowny faces whatever it was and I'd come back each each week after the kids would give me all their work and bring it back into them. And these are the ones that just, this was their last stop. And if they didn't make it here, they were done with school. And at the time, and this time in Florida, the dropout rate was already over 30%. And it was, wow. they were trying to figure out a place to put these kids like a last resort, but they were also putting them somewhere to get them out of the regular classroom. So mm -hmm. these were those kind of kids. Yes. So I'd hand the papers back. And the kids would do the same thing every time. I'd hand them the papers. They'd look down. They'd look at the grade. They'd look up at me. They'd look at the first page. They wouldn't look at any of my notes. And then they'd put it under their desk. And that was the end of it. And I thought, this isn't going to make any difference. And so I did it for a semester. I thought, I'm going to I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to be committed to this. And it's going to make a difference. I made zero difference. <laughs> and so I, I came in second semester and I said, okay, we're going to change it up a little bit. I want you to grade your own work. And the kids were like, what do you mean greater on work? I said, look, it's a math book. I'm going to assign you the odd problems. The answers are in the back. You check your work and then you tell me what grade you got. And they that was like one of those first times when they're looking at me and they're thinking, but we're going to tell you we made a hundred. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's fine. And then we're going to have another conversation when we take a look at your quiz or test at the end of the week to see, is it a match for what this hundred work that you did? And so then they realized, okay, maybe that's not going to go well. But what happened was they went from where I would give them the papers, they'd look at the grade and put it under the desk, where they actually were looking it up and it was their work, their answers, and they were seeing something that was wrong. And now they wanted to know why. And so all of a sudden it was like the questions, why did I get this one wrong? I don't know. Let's look. And it became this dialogue that started to happen. And of course, you start showing attention to those students. Then the other students were like, I want attention from the teacher. And so they were the same, hey, I got this one wrong, show me why. And it just started this whole thing about having them grade their own work. But in a math book, if you think about a traditional textbook, you just have the answers and it doesn't have anything to walk you through and detail it out and show you the step-by-step -step how to do it. But I knew I was onto something. And so we've done that ever since and always had students take the practice problems that you're doing and you check it yourself because it's in, and then we detailed all the solutions out so they can follow it step by step. But we saw so many things that happened with that. And one of those was just the kids started to take ownership for their work. But the second thing was, and my son was a, a great example of this. So he was, he was one of the ones that he said, I can just do this in my head, dad. I was like, okay, do it in your head until you can't. And then let's see if you show your work. But we noticed that when you think about young people that for them, it's, we always want them, we'll show your work, show your work but we never show them how. We just tell them to show their work. And oftentimes you, you <laughs> they hand you something and you can't follow it. You don't know where right. it is. They got things on three different pieces of paper and they get there. 
But we thought, I thought, what if we actually took them step by step and every step along the way, follow the steps and see what it is. And, and even for kids, it's if you don't understand something, go look at how it's worked out and see if you can figure it out for yourselves. And our students love that because it is giving them that self-reliance where they can really start to become self-directed in their learning, but we're also showing them how to show their work. And for and they don't know that in the background, but it's amazing because now it's like, oh, here's the steps. And they start showing their work, which is amazing. My, I had to go through that with my own son. So I was like, okay, this works. So it was good. Both my mathy kids hate to show work. <laughs> right? But- Yeah. When my oldest was enrolled in, he was in the live pre-algebra classes with you. I was struck by how you do that. And I was thinking to myself, number one, is he going to, (laughs) is he going to fib to you and be like, oh, I got a hundred on everything. And also I was really struck by how for a kid like him who attention and impulsivity and executive functioning, those are struggles for him. And they're never going to be like his thing that he's best at. But it was so good for him to slow down and to go through and look at the various problems, the steps and see where he made the mistakes. And then it got into his head, the little achiever that he didn't want to get them wrong. So like, where did I get this wrong? And he would do that all himself. And he was really young at the time. So I was just really impressed by how putting that ownership on them is especially good for the kids who maybe are very impulsive and are just like, I got this. I I don't struggle with math. Math's easy. I did this all in my head. Oh, that's great. And it's one of those things that the stu- when you first tell students, okay, you're going to grade your own work. And we tell them, we meet them and we'll show kids at a convention and we're like, okay, here's how the program works. And I always say to them, I say, okay, so let's say you got this problem wrong. And then you went in and you figured out what you did wrong and you corrected it. And now it's right. What's your grade going to be? And they look at me with the funniest face on there and they say, I don't know, I got it wrong. I said, but now it's right. And so they finally look at, they think, does that mean I get a hundred? I said, absolutely. It means you get a hundred. And they're like, oh, that's so great. And I said, yeah. (laughs) I said, okay, now who does grade your work? Is it me? Is it mom? And when they, it takes them a while. And then they finally point at themselves and yeah, it's you. And here's what happens. If you don't make a hundred percent, if you're not getting everything there is to get, whose fault is that? And they, they sit there and they go, mine. I'm like, yep, you got it. So it's always giving them the ownership of their work. And the thing that I've always noticed too is that I think in anything, when we discover something and we see it for ourselves, that moment when someone says, here's what you did wrong, it's really different than when they see it for themselves. And there's something that happens that kind of jogs that long-term memory because it's that aha moment. They're like, oh, here's what I did. And then it just starts to have other things connect. And it, for them... It for they think, oh, I'm just going to check my own work and do great. It's, yeah, but we know all these other things are happening in the background that goes to long-term memory. It goes to them taking ownership and it has them becoming somebody that knows how to research because then we tell students the same thing. It's look, you may not remember the quadratic formula 10 years from now, but what you will know how to do is how to look it up if you need to. And for me, that's a life skill. And it's that's I'm always looking for can kids, can they go in, adults as well, can you go in and can you figure out what's happening? Can you go in and do the research and find what you need to find? And for that, for me, if they're going to work in a field where they've got to use the quadratic formula all the time, they're going to remember it. If they don't, that's okay, because they're going to what? They're going to know how to look it up and they can go back. And it's we tell kids too, it's, if you think about a, a song where you can't remember the lyrics and like the first couple of lines and the whole song comes back to you, we tell them that's kind of how math is. It's, you may not remember this, but if you go and you look it up and you see how something starts, 
And they're like, that is funny. The students tell us, they go, that happens all the time. Then I remember the whole thing. It's great. That's what we want. So you've taken an assignment that's usually the grading process is usually very passive. And I was thinking as I was reading your book and you're talking about the kids that look at the test or the quiz handed back and the points and just shove it in their backpack. I was thinking of my own experience in public school and I was a good student and I think I still did the same thing. Like, I don't think unless there was something that I really was like, huh, how did I get that score? I was just like, okay, like I got some points off and never really went back to look at it, but you're teaching them to do that. So it's not, it doesn't stop at the test. And I think when we think about traditional school and the system that it is and just inherent in a system, there are flaws, but that's one of them is that you just, you're keeping the learning going versus I studied for this test. Okay. I did. Okay. On to the next thing. You're, you're keeping it going. Yeah. Because you think about the idea, like people talk about mastery, like a mastery approach to something. Is, does mastery mean 75% or does it mean 80%? I'm like, no, it means hundred percent. Like we want you to master it. Like we want you to get everything there is to get. And so, yeah, go back and do it again and let us know if you got a question and we want to guide you through and yes, do it again. And I think the more that young people know it's okay, that they should be, the other thing too, is I think if they're going to go back and do the work it takes to find out what they did wrong and then want to do it again, they should get something for that. So we give them credit for that. And we want that. And I think it makes a huge difference for them. And again, it just, it, it, it brings their confidence goes up. You can just go down the list of all the things that happen for them. But the biggest thing is they start to be able to take ownership of it and do, do it on their own. And that for me is that's what we want. We want kids that can come out and be completely self-reliant, self-directed. And for them, it's independent, but and at the same time, it's ownership. And if they need help, then they know they can ask for help. And that's it. And that's one of the other things too, is you look at how many times people, they get stuck and they think, oh, I don't know what to do here. And I can't ask anybody for help. It's, no, we want you to do that. And we want you to, and learning how to ask a question, that's huge all in itself as well. Yes. And and just advocating for yourself. I was thinking of all the kids who, you know, be, maybe after you're going through a math class and it's hard for them and maybe they get a C on a test. And then the next time they get the C minus. And, and it just feels like, it, it puts them into this box where they feel like they aren't good at something and that you attach to the grade where everyone can, if you pause, everyone can learn. It's just our unique differences. So it's giving them that confidence to not be the kid who says, I'm not good at math just because you got tripped up the first couple of months of the school year. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes when they're stuck in math, it's usually not what they're stuck on. It's usually something that they didn't get from before that. So there's some concept missing and until they get that figured out, then once they get that figured out, they're like, oh, it all makes sense now. And that, that again, it just comes, it gives them that opportunity to keep pushing forward, knowing that they know that they're going to what they're going to complete it and they can ask for help when they need it. And at, and at the same time, they're learning and they're doing it on their own. And that is, that's just gold. <laughs> I love it. So we've talked a lot about math, but Mr. D math is so much more than math. I know my kids have taken ASL. My oldest took college and career readiness and absolutely loved it. The stock market was like, that's all he did that whole year was so into the stock market and has such an understanding of it now that I think many adults don't have. Could you talk about how you made that shift from starting with Mr. D math and then expanding to these various areas? Absolutely. So the college and career readiness, it's funny. I tell people it's probably our best class we have because it, we do everything from how to write a resume to how does the stock market work. And so we're not getting into like super advanced trading strategies, like options and things like that. It's just, 
here, here's how you research a stock. Here's what you look for, looking at the highs and lows and looking at the analysis of it to see what's going to happen. We put them in a contest. We let them to virtual oh, loved stock that. market. Yeah. And the kids, they, they really enjoy that. We look at them on how to research colleges. And, and if you're not going to go to college, how do you research a business and interview skills? So we take them through so many different aspects of that class. And that was something that I just, I always felt like that is those are the skills we want kids to have. Those those life skills that they can take with them. And then uh, our ASL class, and we've had a lot of other classes come along like ASL. And ASL, the, the teacher that created the ASL program was one of my math students in a co-op like 15 years ago. Oh, that's and great. We first met her. And so she came to me and she said, she goes, I'm making these ASL classes. And she said, I really, I've got all these, I've got these YouTube videos and I've got all this stuff. And she said, would I be able to use your platform to put the content on there? And I was like, of course. And it was great because she knew our math program. So she understood the structure of the math program. So she could model the ASL program similar to the way that we do things in math. And it just, and it was like the kids loved it. And I was like, look, let's get this out and let's share this with more people. And so that's really how it was born, like the ASL class. And then we've had other people come to us and we have a, a grammar class and we launched a class last year that is this super cool class on digital music production. Oh, fun. It's really cool. And I met a guy and he was, we were at a, we were at an event together and he was doing assemblies for schools. And he said, he says, yeah, I do these assemblies for schools with kids and we teach them about music production and the digital side of that. And I said, man, you got to make a class of this. And so same thing, we worked together and built the class up. And he actually does, he does movie trailers for movies, for some of the Marvel movies. And he's super high end and he's got this amazing recording studio. And so we have him come in and do assemblies for us now, but it, we also have a class to follow up with him on if the kids want to do that. So it's been more of, we have a, a really great learning management system that is, it, it's big enough that we can expand and we can have more programs come in. And we're actually, we actually just uh, brought in a science teacher. So we're working on science classes now. So yeah, we're pretty excited about that. So she's starting with biology. So for people, because people have asked us, when are you going to get science? And so we've been looking for the right person and we found somebody and she works in the homeschool market and she's, look, she goes, is there any way we can work together? I said, absolutely. So she's working on courses, but our grammar classes came about like that. And just every people come along and they're like, hey, can we, can we look and see how we can do this. We're like, yeah, absolutely. It's been really great. So that we've just been, people are like all the time, I think you're going to have to change your name from Mr. D Math to Mr. D Math and more or something so that we have, <laughs> have something else out there for people. But people have come to know that that we have more classes than just math. But the college and career readiness was just, was one of those classes for me that was like, that's a class that, and I was a business major in college. So I was always like, there's so many things that we don't get done in math that are, go beyond the math class. And how can we put that together? So that's how that class got started. And then things just kept continuing to grow from there and more people coming on and looking to see how we could work together. And it's been great. And you have even athletics, I think, is we that do. right? Yeah. And college test prep, which everyone's yes. always looking for. Yeah. And the test prep, and it's funny, you look at test prep and during the pandemic, a lot of the colleges started to move away from standardized test scores. They started, they just called it test optional. And now we're seeing some of the colleges saying, we're not going to do that anymore. And they're bringing the tests back. And so we've done SAT prep and ACT prep. The, we do some things that, that kids that do the AccuPlacer in Florida, they, they call it the PERT test which is if they want to dual enroll and most of the time where they get stuck is on the math. And so we put together a math program for that, but, and same with the SAT and ACT, 
And we're starting to work with some schools out in California where we're doing standardized test prep for their state end of the year tests because we work with some uh, public charter schools out there that those students, while they use our homeschool programs, and it's funny, you go through and you look at the list of homeschool, uh, or you look at their providers of the people that come in as vendors, it's all of our homeschool companies that are out there. But the kids are still stuck inside of the public school because it's a public charter school. And so they still have to take the end of the year state test. And so we developed a test prep program for them as well. And the kids are loving it. And again, we go right back to the same thing about here's an example. Here's what it looks like. Check your work. And then in those classes, we actually have the kids, we give them an assignment. Now go teach someone else what you just learned because we want them to reteach what they're learning. Same thing. It's like when they're teaching someone else, we also know what's happening is that if they can communicate what they learned, we know there's so many different things that are happening for them that goes much deeper and they start to take it to another level in their understanding. So yeah, it's been fun. It's just, we just keep looking for what else can we do? How else can we support young people? I love that. And if you're teaching someone else, talk about mastery there. If you're absolutely that. Yeah. Um, so going, getting back to the college and career readiness, I was struck by, I always think of as my son is getting closer to the 18 number, <laughs> it's such like where we expect our kids to all of a sudden know what they want to do for the rest of their life and make this decision if they are college bound, that they're like locked into this major or whatever, and their brains aren't even fully developed yet. And I was just struck by that course and how there were so many things included that would have been helpful to know before going off to college, even as someone who was like, really academic at the time. And I had my stuff together and I figured it out, but it would have been nice to know. I think you did even did checkbooks, right? Which I don't, people, people don't even really use that much right now anymore, but I'm dating myself here, but it was just so nice to see him exposed to all of these things that you're not going to learn in a traditional setting. Yeah, for sure. And we had uh, the very first thing we do in that course is uh, a section on goal setting. And it's one of those things that we all talk about goal setting, but can you get it down to the level where somebody can go through, they can create a goal and they can duplicate this over and over again. And so we always tell them, we show them the SMART acronym, the uh, specific measurable, how it all. And so then we just put a big circle through it and draw a line and go, okay, we're not doing that. Here's what we are going to do instead. And we take them through this process where they literally look out into the future and create what they're up to. And then they work backwards to see how do you get there and, and lay out the steps. And I actually do that workshop at conventions. And it's funny how time, how many times I come back to the convention the next year and a mom will come up to me. She goes, I sat in on that goal, goal setting workshop last year. And she goes, I just want to tell you what happened. It happened. I did it. I got my goal. So it's great. And so we know that it works not only for young people, for, but for adults as well. But starting them there and having them look, and we talk about, we talk about some principles from a book called Think and Grow Rich, which is written by Napoleon Hill. And we talk about the, there's a section in there called Three Feet from Gold. And when you look at what happened, and this was a, a, a true story, a guy named Charles Darby, and he went in, he was trying to, he was trying to mine for gold, and he literally was three feet away from the <laughs> biggest gold vein that w- had ever been found in California. Oh my and goodness. He and he sold all of his equipment to a, a guy that was like a, he was like a, basically like a junk dealer, but the guy had enough sense to look and see what he had. And he went and he found somebody that understood how to use the equipment, took him out. And he said, where should we be digging for this gold? And when he told them it was three feet away from where he had quit. And that's so he got this, the phrase three feet from gold is my goodness. Wow. Oftentimes we get somewhere and it's not going well, it's not going well. And it's, but what if you just 
that one next step and that just staying with it and really that's your passion and you have that burning desire, don't give up on it because you may just be that three feet from gold and whatever it is. And and the kids, they they hear that. And at when they hear something like that, it's this is real. And it's not like just us telling them, oh, don't quit, don't give up. It's no, here's what happens when you actually take it and you keep going and you stay with it and you persevere and you don't give up on what your dreams are. And it just it works. And we weave that in throughout the course for kids so that they see. And of course, then we're going to show and open up everything else in there. The check writing thing is really funny because when you show a young person a check and you say, okay, here's the routing number of the bank and here's the account number of the bank. And they don't realize that those things are, they're printed right on the check and what they mean and what the difference is and what to look for. And so it's been great, even as kids get older and they maybe aren't writing checks anymore, but maybe they're using an ACH feature Mm -hmm. on a digital online banking account and they still have to know what the routing number is they still have to understand how the the account number is if they want to make online payments so it's been something that where the check itself is something that's outdated but some of the information from the check is still things that they're going to take with them in in today's technology definitely if you want to at your job get your automatic deposit so you don't have to worry about taking that check to the bank absolutely (laughs) Um, So as you're talking about goal setting, it reminded me of the last chapter in your book, which is a bonus on goal setting. And you made it so visual that I think it just, it helps every type of learner. But could you talk a little bit, I'm like talking your ear off and I'm not going to keep you you forever, but before we uh, wrap up, could you tell us a little bit about your book, Teach, and about the concept of independently responsible learners? Absolutely. So the book, the book, 35 years of being in the industry. And so just taking my own experiences, my kids' experiences with students and wrapped it up into, if you want to call it best practices. And again, best practices are, you know, in my opinion, right? You know, that's where they come from. But the book is going to walk through everything about when we talked about, you know, the, the kids presenting their own work and why they should do that and why they take ownership of it and different ways to do that. And just walking through all the different steps. And even for a parent of sometimes a parent, it's hard for a parent sometimes because we can sit down with somebody that's not our child and we can be great with them. We got all the patience in the world. We'll let them make mistakes. It's, but our own kids, it's like, oh, you got to get this, you got to get this. And so yep. it's like stepping back from what's it like to be more like a coach and how do you support a young person? And then and just all throughout there, I think my favorite chapter in there is just a chapter on, are you doing what you love to do? And when I grew up, that was not the message that I was given as a young person. It was never about, are you doing what you love to do? It was more about, no, you're going to college and you're going to get this degree and you're going to do this and you're going to get a job and rah, rah, rah. And I was like, but we're discovering now and it's much more a conversation we have with young people today to see what are you really interested in and are you doing what you love to do? And from doing what you love to do, they find that passion. And you can, like me, it's I created a whole entire program. We made it up, right? And here we are today. But I love doing it. And it just, it keeps going. The very last chapter, though, is a, we call it a bonus chapter on goal setting. And we take them through that process. And so we have this thing. It's a, it's a visual display. I call it a cluster diagram where you're literally just, you're taking the goal. What is it that you want to achieve? And then you're coming up with the things that would have to happen so you can achieve that goal. And then for each thing that has to happen, you have to come up with some supporting details. What has to happen to make that happen? And you can put it all on one piece of paper. You can see it, 
put it up in the bathroom, put it in the, put it on your refrigerator, like wherever it is. And the kids can take it. It's nice. They can draw on it, make it look nice and neat. They can have scratch it out, do their first rough draft of it, and then make it look great. But then we have them go back and write a story about it. And then the story is that you're writing the story as a reflective story that you're writing about the goal. Here I am a year into the future, or six months or however long that you made your goal. And you're saying, this is it. I achieved the goal. And how do you feel? Where are you? What was it like for you? And then we have them go back and take the paper where they wrote out all of the different things that are going to have to happen. And you build that into the story. And you say, here's, I had to do this. And you can come up with a timeline of when you did that and people that you met on along the way and people that supported you so that they're creating their story. But when they create the story, what they're doing is they're creating that future for themselves that they can live into that and they can look forward to it. And it's amazing how often you think about something, you write it down, and then it happens just the way that you say. So a funny thing, call it this like that self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like you really are creating, predicting what you think is going to, of what's coming, and how often that once we focus on something, it, this is the best example of that. If you've ever thought about when you decide you want to buy a new car, mm -hmm. and you come up with the car, and you notice before you thought of that car, you drive down the road, you never see that car. And now you drive down the road and oh, is that car, right? And it's, oh my gosh, all these people have that car. What was I thinking? But I, I think a lot of that has to do that once you say, this is what I'm up to and this is what I'm committing to and this is what I want. It's like those things start to become visible where you can see they've been there all the time. You just couldn't see them. But now you can because your intention is on that and you're actually directing your mind on what you're looking for. And so we take the kids through and parents as well through that process of goal setting. And to be honest, I've been using it myself for over 30 years. I first learned about it in graduate school. And they took me through that process. And I got to choose going down the tutoring business, which led me to the Mr. D math business, or get a PhD. And I don't have a PhD. So you know what route I went, but I actually was able to like look at, write it out and look and see what made the difference. And in seeing that, the path was clear. And it was just so easy to follow then because I made it up and then I could follow it and get guidance along the way as needed, which was perfect. It makes it so intentional. And it's almost like you're starting those neural pathways for what you want. It reminds me of, I had an awesome coach as a swimmer and she used to make us go through our races before like mindfulness was a thing. We would have to lay down with our backs on the grass and think about every single step of the whole, this 30 second race. But it, that's what it reminds me of is just you're picturing yourself there. And I think as kids, especially it can maybe be hard to think they're so in the now, especially teens, that it can be hard right. to think a year from now. What do I want a year from now? So it's really good to be intentional about that and and lay it out there. Oh, that's cool. You guys must have had a really good swim team. <laughs> oh, she, she was awesome. I bet. She's, she's still winning awards. She's oh my gosh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I am struck by when you're talking about following what, what brings you joy and what do you want to do? And then you yourself are living this with, you knew you wanted to teach, but then the system wasn't really the best setting and the tutoring was great for a bit. And then you ended up creating this entire learning platform and just talking to you, you can see your enthusiasm and you can tell that you love what you do. And I think the really neat thing about being a homeschool parent and also having been in public schools for a while before is you can see we're teaching our kids how to learn and how to love learning in a way that is very difficult to do in a classroom of 25. And I, I and then you can go, once you do that, you can go off and do what you're doing and just create something based on and just keep growing it and following it like where 
you started off with math and now you've got a bajillion other things that you're doing and, and right. you're so happy about it. You can tell. Yeah. It, and for me, it's an opportunity to contribute to other people. We, we've helped other people build careers out of doing this. And I, there's just nothing better at the end of the day to know that you're making a difference. So it's, yeah, we make a difference in the lives of our homeschool families. And at the same time, we're making a difference in the lives of our other course creators that come on. And and then what happens? It's a win because they're bringing great content back to our homeschool families again. Yeah. It's just at the end of the day, it's like you can sit down and go and we have all the, there's all the work that comes with it and the circumstances that come up and the problems that come up. And you, But when you're inside of doing something where that you're really making that kind of difference, that's it's lasting and it's going to stay with kids. It doesn't matter what problems you have. You're going to work it out when you just you keep moving forward and it just, it turns out, which is great. <laughs> it does. Before we go, I always love to ask this question. What would you tell your younger homeschool self if you had to give like a little gold nugget of especially for those who like you were teaching and then you were like, once you got into the homeschool market, you were like, why are our kids in school? And now you travel with your kids and they're still learning. What would you tell your younger homeschool self about that? Oh my goodness. Don't not do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it's one of those things. It's like, and you know, when you first start homeschooling, you don't really, you know, you t it, it's funny, go to a convention and you can tell who's new because they have that kind of deer in the headlights yes. as they're walking down the hallway. And I just, I look for them and I grab them and say, come on over here. Let's, this is what it looks like. And it's overwhelming, especially you come to some of the bigger conventions and there's so many different people out there and everybody's telling them everything amazing about what's possible in homeschooling. But I, I think when people really discover what is possible and the difference that it makes for their children and not only for their children, but I, how many homeschool moms that I've met that they've started to discover something about themselves that they didn't know. And that it opens the door for them to be willing to go even further and to take on new things for themselves because they took on something that they didn't know how to do, which was being a homeschool family. And you learn that and you're like, wow. And then it opens up the next door and the next door and the next door. It's one of the, I think I go back to three feet from gold. It's like, you are three feet from gold as you made the decision to homeschool. And so now don't stop and keep going because it does turn out. And we, as an industry, we keep growing and we keep seeing how many different amazing programs are out there. And it's funny because when I go to a convention and I see someone else who does a math program, we're instant buddies. <laughs> and when it's, that's not normal in the business world. You don't hang out with your competitors, right? That but is we, so true we, about the homeschool world. It it's, is. There, you know, we're all working together. Yeah. And I know I'll go to one booth and when I see what they're doing and we have a, a family come by and maybe our program's not the right fit for them. So it's, come on, let me take you over to this other program. We'll walk them over and we do that with each other. So we support each other because we're all in the same, we're all the same goal because we want to make a difference and we want to be homeschooling and we want everyone to find what works best for them. But it's, it's a community. And I think that's one of the things that oftentimes now in today's world, we, it's missing. It's like there is that community where it's like-minded and we're all working towards the same thing and we can support each other. And sometimes it doesn't go that way. Sometimes it's a, it's not, we're trying not to support each other to, to get ahead of someone else. Mm -hmm. We're here, we're working together because we're all in it together and we're all out to produce young people that make a difference in the world. And that's what we want. So yeah, three feet from gold. If you're making a decision to homeschool, don't quit because it is amazing and beautiful and you'll love it. 
So true. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I would like to say to anyone listening, when you're talking about new homeschoolers, especially, you just don't have the hindsight yet to know that it's working, even though your gut is telling you to do it. And along with that, I would say that if you have a subject that's stressing you out really badly, it's okay to outsource. And that's exactly what we did when we took our first online math class with you. And it freed up so much of my headspace where I was like, this kid can just fly with you and do all the math things. And I can focus on all the other things that I'm better at than trying to come up with the language to explain why you carry the one. <laughs> things like Right, that. exactly. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to remember the quadratic formula. We're going to do that for you. So don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> it, it has been so fun to talk with you. Before we go, could you let everyone know, and I will also include in the show notes, where they can find you? Oh, yeah. Simple. It's mrdmath.com, M-R-D-M-A-T-H.com. And you'll see our site. you see all the different programs we have. And yeah, we look forward to having you check it out. Join us. Um, we have a demo on there. So you can go in and demo classes, check them out, see if it's a good fit for you. And you can message us and let us know how it's going. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dennis. Absolutely, Kate. Thanks for having me. Anytime. sisters, Kate here. As a lifelong gamer, school psychologist, and homeschool mom, I have witnessed time and time again the power of play when it comes to learning. In fact, I truly believe that homeschooling can be almost all fun and games. Now, does that mean it's going to be all sunshine, rainbows, and laughter? Heck to the no way. But I do believe we could all be having a heck of a lot more fun. A playful mindset can transform your homeschool routine and your family life. The best part? You don't need an overflowing game closet to get started. You can be a game schooler today with just a deck of cards, and I'd love to show you how. That's why I created Never Bored Learning. Never Bored Learning is a private online community for creative parents and educators who embrace play-based learning and game schooling. The goal of Neverboard Learning is to play more and learn lots in the process. Your Neverboard Learning membership includes access to monthly guest speakers, live Q&As, monthly day-in-the-life family spotlights, and an ever-growing library filled with printable resources, including documentation resources, challenges, and print-and-play games and activities. But the very best part of NBL is the private online community forum. This is not a Facebook group, and it is hands down my favorite spot on the internet. The community is a vibrant one, filled with creative parents and educators. I wake up every morning before my kids, I pour myself that very first cup of coffee, and I hang out in the MBL community forum. It's my favorite way to start the day, and I'd love to see you there. If you'd like to learn more about Neverboard Learning, visit neverboardlearning.com. That's N-E-V-E-R-B-O-A-R-D-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G dot com. And if you're not ready for a monthly commitment, but you're interested in getting your feet wet with game schooling, I invite you to sign up for our free seven-day game school kickstart, which you can find on mylittlepoppies.com, or enroll in our digital course, Game Schooling 101. I can't wait to show you the power that play can have on your homeschool and family life. I wish you a play-filled year, sisters. Chat soon. Bye for now.